Let's hear the word of God. I invite you to turn with me this morning to the Psalm 100. Psalm 100. And we'll read together the Psalm. It's only five verses. Psalm 100. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing. This reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Psalm 100 and the verse 4. It reads, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And my theme today is entitled The Protocol of a True Worshipper. Now this, of course, is one of the texts that greets you every time you enter in through the main door into the church. And I want you to pause at the text on the door entering into the church. I want you to look at the words. I want you to think about it. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What does Psalm 104, or Psalm 100 verse 4, teach us about how to worship God because I believe that Psalm 100 verse 4 is really the protocol of true worship. Now a man by the name of Raymond Edmund, he was the president of Wheaton College in the United States of America. He was also a missionary, a lecturer and an author And one Sunday, he was leading the worship service there in the college for the students, and he told a personal story. And he told about meeting with the king of Ethiopia. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful experience, boys and girls, meeting with the king? And he was told by the official, in order to have an audience with the king of Ethiopia, that there was a strict protocol that he had to observe. And the official told him, if you don't do each of these things that you're told, you won't be judged worthy to come and enter in to the king's presence. And of course, Dr. Edmund drew a parallel, an audience with an earthly king, come into his presence, wait at the gate until he's summonsed, then take off his shoes, then enter into his court, bowing and scraping, confessing to the king that he wasn't worthy to meet with him, offer thanks for the opportunity in coming, and also to bring some sort of gift. 
And he talked about having an audience with the king of Ethiopia. And that was the protocol that he had to experience. And then he drew a parallel. An audience with the king of kings. To come into the presence of the living and the true God. In a real meaningful act of worship. And as he preached that day. And preached about the protocol of worship. The amazing thing is this. He died in the pulpit. And he just dropped. And everybody was aghast. And yet in that moment. He left the pulpit. He went into the immediate presence of the Lord. Because the Bible teaches. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. The Bible teaches. Absent from the body. And present with the Lord. Now let me ask the question this morning. How do we come into God's presence? What's the protocol for a true worshipper? And Psalm 100 tells us. And that's why, of course, I chose Psalm 100 for the opening praise in our opening service. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great English Baptist prince of preachers, said that Psalm 100 is a literary masterpiece on true worship. And as you read the psalm, I wonder, did you discover that it's called a psalm of praise? And the word praise is literally thanksgiving. It's only five verses. It's not hard to read. Two verses of exhortation, followed by the third verse, which is an explanation. And then another verse of exhortation, followed by another explanation. Or as someone has said, there's seven commands and one reason. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Be thankful unto him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth unto all generations because he's good because he's an everlasting God because he's merciful because he's a God of truth that endures to all generations you see we should learn when we think of Psalm 100 that it's totally inappropriate simply to barge into his presence without the proper protocol without coming the proper way could you imagine Raymond Edmund standing at the gate of the palace of the king of Ethiopia waiting for the summons to enter in. I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to dander on in. He would have never met the king of Ethiopia. He knew he was coming into the presence of a king and he must follow the strict protocol. And when we come into the Lord's house on the Sabbath day, Let's remember we're coming into the presence of a great king. Into the presence of the living and the true God. Into the presence of the one true God. And how do we enter into God's presence? And that's our theme for the next 20 minutes or so. I want you to notice, look at verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Now, here's how to enter. We must enter... On the ground of the right sacrifice. You see, this phrase, enter into his gates, 
is really a reference to do with the tabernacle and to do with the temple. That's what the psalmist has in mind when he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's the analogy here, the tabernacle and the temple. Gates were part of the outer wall that surrounded the temple and the tabernacle proper. And in order to enter in, you must enter in via the gate. Enter in to his gates. There's a summons to enter in. And you cannot enter in until you receive the summons to enter in. And not only that, but the gates are closed to all outsiders. And added to that, you can't come in unless you come in with a sacrifice in mind. How did they enter the temple? How did they enter the tabernacle? They could only enter via the gate. And when they did come in, they could not enter in without a sacrifice. The worshiper had to bring an animal sacrifice. He had to bring that animal sacrifice to the priest at the brazing altar. The blood of that animal had to be shed. Sin had to be confessed. Sin had to be atoned for. Sin had to be expiated and put away. To enter in without a blood sacrifice would have meant instant death. And the worshiper was learning as he heard the summons to enter in. I can only meet God based on the ground of the shed blood of sacrifice. In other words, I can't come my way. I can't just barge into his presence. I can't say, well, well, look at me, king. Don't you know who I am? You can't just come in offering the works of your hands. No, you can only enter in the way via the criteria that God the king has decreed. And that's exactly what Raymond Edmund discovered. As he stood at the gate of the king's palace in Ethiopia outside, he was told, you need a summons to enter in. And he received the summons. And he was told that you must come with a gift. He was told a lot of other things. You see, the gate is closed to all outsiders. And outsiders are summoned to enter in. And once inside, as you enter in with the blood sacrifice, you're no more a stranger. You're regarded as a son. And you're treated accordingly. I want to ask this morning, are you a stranger to God? Are you without God in the world? Without Jesus Christ? Without the hope of the gospel? Are you still in your sins this morning? Do you view yourself as an outsider? Have you heard the summons to enter in through the gate? And the gate, of course, is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. And if you heard that summons to enter into Christ, to enter into a relationship with the God of heaven, and you don't want to be a stranger in your sin, you want to be a son, and you come into God's presence, and you come in on the ground of the shed blood, doesn't the Bible say, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes are far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You think of the blood sacrifice of Christ. But this man, 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and 22 that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And over there in Hebrews chapter 9 and the verse 26, a tremendous statement was made, for then must he often, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Lord, I'm coming because I've heard your summons to repent and be converted. Lord, I want to enter into Christ this morning. Lord, I come to you on the basis of his shed blood, on the basis of the blood sacrifice of Christ. And I'm coming to meet you in this ground. Lord, I plead the blood. Is it any wonder the hymn writer said, precious, precious blood of Jesus shed in Calvary, precious, precious blood of Jesus shed for rebels, shed for sinners, praise God, shed for me. We enter in on the ground of the right sacrifice. Having received the summons, we can only meet God on the ground of the blood. I wonder, is that your experience? Is that part and parcel of your relationship with God? You're glad you've got the summons to repent and be converted. And, and you've approached God, not with the works of your hands, not, not, not through the church, not because of ritual and ceremony, but you're approaching God this morning on the name of Christ, pleading the merits of the precious blood. Thankful that that blood has been shed. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were sometimes afar off, that is, you who were once strangers, you're made nigh to God. You can come into his presence. How? By the blood of Christ. I want you to teach you secondly, you can enter in because you've been granted the right submission. If you think of the words, enter into his gates. Underline the word his. <coughs> I want you to link up the context. Look at verse 3 for a moment. Remember I've said verses 1 and 2 is exhortation. And verse 3 is really an explanation. We're exhorted to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We're exhorted to serve the Lord with gladness. To come before his presence with singing. And then there's the exhortation. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. There's a submission to God's person. There's an acknowledgement in your heart and mind that he is God. I was reading this week about a member of the royal family. And uh, they got very excited when the queen came past. And they curtsied. And they waved. I wonder why they do that. If you were in the presence of a king or the queen, you would have to curtsy. Do you know that? You think of a soldier in the army. Whenever a five-star general comes past, he's saluting the general or an officer. Why does he do that? He does it out of respect. He does it saying, I submit to your superiority. I recognize you as an officer. I recognize you as the king. 
And there's a submission this morning as we come to worship to God's persons. We're told here, know ye that the Lord, he is God. And the emphasis is that he alone is God. Isaiah gives us the command, behold your God. And the word behold means to see with the eye and gaze upon with the mind until you grasp and understand something. And I want to ask this morning, by way of application, is the living and the true God the God of your life? Is he the God that you love? The God that you're loyal to? The God that you, you live for? You see, when it says, know ye that the Lord, he is God, it means that God can be known. God has made a revelation of himself, not only in the book of nature, but also in the book of Holy Scripture. In natural revelation, the, the, the created things all around us teach us about the existence of the living and the true God. And when we come to the book of Holy Scripture, he begins to unfold a revelation of himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 and 1. Uh, and we're introduced that he's our creator and, and he's our maker. Remember the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 22, 39 and 40, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Let me ask this morning, what has got your heart? What, what engages your, your mind? What has got your strength? Maybe I've got to apply it this way. Has money got your heart? Occupy your mind? Takes up your strength? Is it the, the quest for fame and fortune? Is it pursuing a, a business career? What's important? What occupies your, your mind? What, what, what grabs your attention? Maybe we can apply it a different way. Why do you come to church in the Lord's day? And the essential thing is to meet with God. How do I come? How do you come? You come to know something. You know that he is God in an experimental way, in a better way, in a greater way, in a deeper way. The text above the doors and the outer ports that we'll preach on on some occasion is be still and know that I'm good. Stop all activity. Pause and think. I am God. There's a submission to God's person. We must acknowledge that he is God. Showing him respect and honor that's due to his name. There's also a submission to God's purpose. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. God is our creator and maker. Uh, how many today in the world who are atheistic and agnostic and thinking refuse to acknowledge him? Well, why is atheism on the increase in Northern Ireland? And here's part of the answer. Proud man refuses to submit to the fact that he is a creator God. Because once you accept that God is creator, then you have to say, well, therefore I'm a created being. And therefore I'm dependent on him. In him I move and live in a being. And not only am I dependent, I'm accountable to him. Remember, we're creatures of clay and dust. And we only live by his good pleasure. We breathe by his good pleasure. All that we have is by his good pleasure. Well, there's also a submission to God's purpose. The psalmist went on to say, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In other words, we belong to him. We are his subjects. But glory to God, he is looking out for us. He is looking after our welfare. You, you think of the Lord's mercies this morning that are new every morning. 
We can say great is thy faithfulness. You, you, you think of the Lord's master plan for his life. And part of that plan involves an infinite pastoral care. Think of the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. He was conscious. I'm one of the Lord's sheep. I belong to him. And therefore he submitted to the Lord's purpose. If I'm his, then he's looking out for my welfare. So you don't need to fret. You don't need to worry. You don't need to think how are things going to be met. We can look to him and therefore we can rejoice. Let me ask this morning, is there anything you fear in your life? What's making you fret? What's making you doubt? Being full of unbelief. What's making you fearful? Well, what does it say when we're fretting and fearful and doubting and full of unbelief? Are we not saying, well, I'm not willing to trust the Lord? Are we saying, I'm not willing to take it to him and leave it at his feet? Are you worried about your children who are not saved, who have no thought and time for the things of God? Are you worried maybe about losing your, your job? Or changing employment? Are you worried about your own health or, or the health of a loved one? Are you worried that you won't have the strength to get through this, whatever the difficulty is? I was saying to a man just the other evening in the hospital, I showed him Psalm 73 and verse 26. And the psalmist said, my flesh and my heart faileth. It was as if the psalmist was saying, Lord, I don't have the strength to get through this. I've no heart nor stomach for it. Lord, my flesh is weak. But listen to what the text says. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, the strength to get through any trial and difficulty doesn't come from yourself, your, inability, your ability. It comes from the Lord. Maybe you're worried about the future. God has given us so much here as a church. Maybe you're worship, worried about this big new worship area and all these empty pews and you fear it'll not be filled. Well, what can we do? Well, we can go to God. We can cry out to the Lord for his help. We, 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 we can acknowledge God's in control. God's got a master plan. God hasn't brought us thus far to mock us. And therefore, and therefore we can be part and we can make ourselves available and saying, Lord, I'll do what I can to help assist and serve in the work of God. Did you know in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, after World War II, after the bombing raids, and the building was mostly destroyed, there was very few worshippers left after that. For many years, there was only but a handful. And yet under the leadership of Dr. Peter Masters and the team that's around them, they now have a strong, solid congregation filling up the vast majority of those pews in the building. And we need to do the same. We need to learn to trust him. We need to have faith in God. And even in the trials of life and all the troubles that come, let's remember that God is able he is able to do things for us beyond our expectation. He has already done it this month. He is able to do it again. And we need to trust him. So we need to enter grounded in the right sacrifice. Having been summonsed, we enter in on the ground of the blood. We need to come because we've been granted the right submission. We submit to his person. We submit to his purposes. But we must enter in because we have also gifted the right spirit. And if you look at the text, it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Think of the words thanksgiving and praise. How do we approach God? 
with thanksgiving. We approach him with praise. And that has to do with our attitude. How you approach your attitude as you come is fundamental to your activity. And how you approach true worship and your attitude in which you come is fundamental to your activity in the aspect of worship. And I want you to discover this, that thankfulness is at the heart of every true worshiper. When we come to worship, we cannot but thank God for who he is, for what he is like as he's revealed himself, for what he has done. You think of the great works of creation, the work of redemption, the work of providence, and even for what he's doing now in our lives and in the life and witness of our church after 42 years from what was founded, after 22 years from its constitution. Could I tell you this morning, we should come and shout. Think of the words, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The greeting behind that sentiment is this, a king returning from a victorious battle. The messenger runs ahead with the good news. The king has won the victory. And the people line the streets. And there's a roar of applause. There's praise. There's thanksgiving. There's gladness. The the people are glad to see the king. And they appreciate him. And he appreciates them. And we who belong to the Lord, we should be a people of joy. Filled with thanksgiving. Filled with praise. See, the image in the Christian life is not about grumpiness. Or moodiness or fickleness. Or complaining, or murmuring, or, or snapping at one another. When our hearts and mind is full of a knowledge of who God is, His eternal attributes, His good, His merciful is everlasting, His truth is unto all generations. When we think of how He's revealed His purpose, resting in His covenant promise, Rejoicing in his great faithfulness in the past and in the present. We should be full of joy. We should be full of thankfulness. We should be full of praise. We're told in the New Testament, rejoice in the Lord always. So we come to shout. Notice also, we come to sing. Because we're told, come before his presence with singing. And we who belong to the Lord should be a people of praise. Praise should burst forth from our inner being. Praise the Lord as a command. It should be vocal and visible, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we say, Lord, I can't praise you today, we must. God's people, when they come together, come to worship. And part of worship is not only thanksgiving, but praise. What is worship? Stephen Sharnock, the great Puritan, suggests it is this. It's the honor and adoration directed to God. In other words, praise is not worship. But praise sets the stage for worship. It's the way to worship. Worship is actually an encounter with the living God. And if it is, let me tell you as we finish, 
That means preparation of heart and mind. That means we take time beforehand to prepare our hearts and minds to have that encounter with the living God. That means that we begin to think. And that's why, of course, we have now the hymn boards and the hymns for you to see. So when you come in, you can begin to look up the hymns and you can think of what you're actually going to sing about. There there has to be a deliberate offering of praise, remember. A deliberate purpose. Isn't this what the psalmist said in Psalm 13 uh, and in the verse um, 15? He says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And it was A.W. Tozer that said, God wants us to cultivate within us the adoration and the admiration of which he alone is worthy. And you think of this, you think of celebrities, pop stars and movie stars, You think of the time that people line the streets waiting on them coming. You think of the shouts that they make to get their attention. And how excited they are about meeting him. Well that should be the same with God's people. By faith when we come together to meet God. We should be excited about meeting him. There has to be a shout. There has to be a raising of our voice. There has to be singing by way of praise. And it's not being rude. It's not being disrespectful. We, we cannot be shouting. We, 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 we shout for joy. For the Lord is amongst us. He has promised for two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. We come not only to shout. We come not only to sing. But we also come to serve. You think of the word serve here in the context. It's a master slave relationship. The slaves at the master's beck and call. Whatever he says, even though it's daft, the slave must do. And why do we serve him? Well, because he has saved us. And we give him the praise and the honor and the glory. Remember, we're saved for his glory, but we're also saved to serve. Remember, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. And therefore, if if that realization fills us, I'm in a right relationship with the Lord and I belong to him. Then gladness will fill our heart. We'll be filled with joy and delight and a spirit of happiness. And it'll be like Paul in the Damascus Road. Lord, what do you want me to do? And as we're thankful and as we bless his name, which is important, we'll be filled with this mindset that I've come to serve. I've come to serve him in whatever way he feels fit. To use me for his glory. There's the protocol for the true worshipper. Come grounded in the right sacrifice. Come because you've been granted the right submission. Come because you've been gifted with the right spirit. You shout, you sing, and you serve. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.